Welcome to the milk bar. 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 Welcome along to episode 673 of the Milk Bar. Jason Forrest here with you as ever. And coming up on the show this week, Andrew Eborn talks about the future. He is a futurist. And we'll be finding out about how human behaviour helps shape what's going on around us in the world. We'll be having a chat with Robert Cheeseright from Pinwheel all about their involvement in the Platinum Pageant and how you can vote for which charities receive funds. Consultomatic Society will let us know about their latest production, A Twist in the Tale, which is coming up later on in May. And into June, the Fellowship players are in action, having a natter with Rob Bissett about what they have in store for us. We have music from Danny Nichols, and also we find out about the Wolverhampton and South Staffordshire Museum Trust, which are launching during the next few weeks. That's all on the way on the show this week. On Wednesday, the 25th of May, Consuls and Master Society have a twist in the tale. To tell us more, I'm joined now by Wendy and Colin Peterson. Hello to you both. Hello. Hi, Jason. Right, so first of all, obviously we love anything and everything that Consuls and Master Society bring to the stage because you put so much thought, time and craft into all of it. We had a fantastic time at the last show. Loved every minute of that one. What have you got this time around? Because it's a one night, something slightly different. That's right. Well, we normally do a one night stand, if you like, um, in the summer months, which gives all our members an opportunity to have a go. It's on a Wednesday evening, which is our normal rehearsal night at the Village Hall. It's a free event, which is even better. And it's a selection of rehearsed readings and sketches. So everybody that wants to get involved does. And uh, something very different to Steel Magnolias, which I have to admit, I I did review at the time and said how amazing you were, but you were amazing. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much for that. We we put a lot of hard work into that and we all enjoyed ourselves a lot, except that uh, a lot of us went down with COVID straight afterwards, which was a bit bit disappointing, but uh, we got through it anyway. That's uh, battled on through and uh, the show must go on. It did. And uh, you've coped since, which is good. But uh, we did. uh, when it comes to rehearsed reading, obviously that is something which means the script will be in front of the person performing potentially, but it doesn't take away from that performance itself. Indeed. Um, in fact, a lot of people say that after the first few minutes, they don't even notice it. The actors still have to prepare in the same way that they would with a normal play, learn how to deliver the lines, the moves, etc., etc. They just have the added bonus of having it there in front of them. And due to the short time period that we've had to rehearse this it would be difficult for anybody to have to learn all their lines in the in a few weeks it also means that that some of the people who wouldn't normally go on stage because they can't learn lines it's as simple as that uh could have a go if they want to so again it uh it also means there's going to be many more people involved if you're doing a, a number of short stories short pieces comedy skits that sort of thing then you've actually got a much wider a number of members of the group and there are so many people that we don't normally see who are behind the scenes so even if it's uh, maybe you know, live sound effects taking place to the script we'll see all that happening as well you certainly will yes we have a, a new member that turned up last night and was thrown the script and said here you are get on with it <laughs> so uh, yeah everybody gets an opportunity which is great but one of the one of the interesting things that we've got this year uh, is that a couple of the pieces have been written by members. So these are brand new, uh, never been heard before, never been seen before. And we hope that they will bring some joy to the people who sit and watch it. So basically we're saying world premieres in Codsall. Absolutely, world premieres Absolutely. in Codsall. yes. But <laughs> well, the, the event itself, you've already mentioned, is free to come into. Uh, it's all taking place 7.30, Wednesday the 25th of May. And how does it work as far as making sure you know how many are coming? Are you looking for people to let you know if they are planning on turning up? We would appreciate it, yes. Uh, We've got the good old hotline phone number, which is 01902 267 322. They can contact us on Facebook. Uh, We haven't actually got a booking facility on the webpage at the moment, but as long as they just leave us a message to let us know how many people are coming, we'll be able to make sure that enough chairs are set out and we've got enough refreshments to go around as well. Yeah, because you now have the signature orange juice and lemonade, which I think is my favourite whenever I come and see you perform. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we also have, we'll be having the signature red and white wine. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, we know what you're going for on the night, Colin. That's the way it works, does it? Absolutely. Not until after the show's finished. Yeah. That's our rule. <laughs> yeah. So if people want to find out more, as ever, look for Consoles and Master Society, CDS on Facebook. You can find that there. And the website too? Yes, yes. absolutely. ConsolesDramaticSociety.co.uk And give us that phone number again. And it's 01902 267 322. Well, from the Peterson clan at that end, preparing yourselves for a show. Uh, have, have, have a great time. Enjoy it. Break a leg. Don't drop your script. Thank Try you, Jason. To. Thanks, Jason. See you again. Bye. Bye. From the 8th through to the 17th of June, the Fellowship players are once more back in action. This time it's a bit of a dark thriller. To tell us more, Rod Bissett, hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm all well, thank you. How is yourself today? Coping with life, just about, I think. And uh, it, it, when it comes to uh, making sure we get the best out of life, a bit of fun and entertainment is always there. But when it's a dark thriller, there's going to be twists, turns and intrigue, I take it, in this latest outing of the, uh, the Fellowship players. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, th this one is pretty much as, as dark as they'll come and very twisty and very turny. I think if people can work out what's going to happen... And they must have seen it before. <laughs> okay, so tell us a bit of the background and the title of the production. So this one is Dead Certain, written by Marcus Lloyd. And it's a, uh, a two-hander where we have a sort of out-of-work actor called Michael, who's been invited to read a play that's been written by Elizabeth, an ex-dancer who is now unfortunately uh, crippled from the waist down. And as they read this play that she has written, Michael realises that they're starting to repeat events that have already happened since he's arrived at the house. Ooh, I like this. Sounds intriguing. And a play within a play. That's always Absolutely. a good, good mechanism, isn't it? It's very good and very clever with what it's, with what it's done with it. So just the two of you, and uh, probably a cast of thousands behind the scenes making it all happen. We've got like our usual uh, lot of like, we've got our stage managers and the director running around and our tech people making sure all the effects happen at the same time. But yeah, just the two of us on stage. I think neither of us get to leave the stage for longer than 15 seconds. But I mean, that makes it sound like there is so much more going on, which is going to be the tech side of it. it, it you, you, there may be just the two phases that we see throughout, but... There's an awful lot which brings this story to life, which is part of the, the atmosphere. And that's the sort of thing which, when you see it on stage, makes it even more magical rather than it just being special effects on a TV show. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there, there are many fantastic plays which we just call Talking Heads, where it is just a person talking to the audience, which are lovely. But with what we've got going on behind these scenes just to bring this story to life and just to keep that tension uh, raising is fantastic. And I think it's a great test for actors to, to do this sort of thing as well, because it is going to be very much about what you're bringing to stage and interacting. It's almost like you're making, uh, I don't know, Who Framed Roger Rabbit when half the characters aren't there because they're cartoons. It, it's that sort of thing, but the stage version. Oh, absolutely, though, with perhaps less bricks dropped on my head, hopefully. <laughs> who, who knows? Anything could happen. It could be a surprise for you in this show. <laughs> It'll be the first time I've had something dropped on my head on a play, though, let's be fair. <laughs> and, and some of it was, was, was actually part of the script as well. So, uh, what, what else is going on with uh, the, the, the Fellowship plays? Because uh, you've got, uh, as I say, busy... You don't seem to stop. It seems like five minutes we were talking about the last production. I, I know, I, I don't believe in taking a break because then I'll just get bored. <laughs> um, this one actually then brings about the close for the Fellowships season for this year. Mm -hmm. um, but there are things going on behind the scenes. Our Arts Council are currently chatting about what they want to bring to the stage for the next season, which will start in uh, September. Mm hmm but there will be lots going on at the theatre through the um, through the Grange players who'll be running various events for people to come down. But unfortunately, this will be our season closer. 
Okay, so, but they say that, 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 that basically means that you get uh, a bit of a break over the summer and it allows you to all come back rested and ready for a, a, a brand new season of things. And so you haven't got all that confirmed yet, but what's, what sort of things do we see during your, your annual run? Because there's normally a comedy, there's, there's obviously something meaningful and here a bit of suspense too. Yeah, we, we like to put on a bit of variety. So as you've said, we always like a bit of a comedy to, to raise the spirits. We like to put on some sort of murder mystery, usually like, you know, like an Agatha Christie or something. Uh, we like to put on some more heartfelt or emotional dramas. We just want to make a nice, varied season that showcases some of the best talent that we've got in our company that will bring some familiar plays to the audience that they might know and some plays that they might not know that will test them more and, and, and cause them to think. And this is part of being a, a follower of fellowship. You actually get to have a, a variety of things. And it's, you, you must have audiences who come regularly to everything, even if they think, hang on, that, that one may not be for me, because very often it is, but you just don't realise it from the synopsis. Well, what is fantastic about the audiences we get at the Grange Playhouse is that they are not shy in telling you what they think about things. <laughs> and so what is lovely is that they'll come see a show and then the next time they see you, they will tell you how much they enjoyed it or what they didn't quite like about the play. But the fact that they've remembered that a couple of months later down the line actually really does mean a lot because it means that that play stayed with them. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's... I actually had a chap last night because I was helping run the bar for the show tell me that he really enjoyed a play I'd, I'd done seven years ago. <laughs> that, that, that is fun. And so your, your involvement with the theatre uh, continues when the, the Grange players are there as well. So uh, it, it is a fantastic community. And so by having two separate groups there, you're really using the facility well. And this is something which uh, it's only just down the road in Warsaw that we really all need to get out and about and explore a little bit more. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's... we're. We're doing it up, making it, you know, all modernised and making it as pretty as we can for people. And what we need now, now that we've got our audiences back in after the recent uh, isolations, is just to show people, yeah, look, we're here, we're ready for our audiences again. We've got some fantastic plays for you. And we really just want to have bums on seats and people joining in with the fun. OK, so people will need tickets for this. Give us all the details of where we can find it. So the tickets are going to be available in five days' time. So from the 20th of uh, May, mm -hmm. they can get those from our box office number, which is 01922 630495. Mm -hmm. Or they can go online through the um, Fellowship Plays' website and book tickets themselves online. Okay, so give us the full address for that one. Uh, that is, it's actually uh, ticketsource.co.uk slash fellowship players. Fellowship players is a little hyphen in between the two words. Okay, fellowship hyphen players on that one. And of course, you can find uh, the fellowship players on all the socials as well. Just search for fellowship players, stick in a bit of warsaw as well. That'll probably help you out if you're having any problems. And uh, you'll be able to enjoy the, uh, the work that's coming up. So this sounds like uh, it's, it's, a, it's an enjoyable challenge for you guys to put together and it's going to be uh, fraught with suspense and mystery for your audience. Hopefully so, hopefully so. So make sure you get yourself down there, dead certain from the Fellowship Players, the 8th through to the 17th of June and you can enjoy, uh, so you've been on the edge of your seat. You've paid for a whole seat but you're only going to use probably about 10% of it, aren't you? Uh, unfortunately, we don't give any discounts on that but... We also don't give any apologies for any of the nails you may bite off. Okay, so there's a, no, it, it's all at your own risk. That's the way we like it. Well, Rod Bissett of the Fellowship Players, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. With the release of her latest work, Danny Nichols is going to absolutely amaze you. We knew she had a fantastic voice. She's been put up for so many awards, it was without doubt. But Little Fictions is absolutely awesome. And joins me now, Renata, hello. Hi. Amazing stuff. A superbly full orchestral sound. Your voice layered on top of that and just sounding amazing. You must be really pleased with this latest piece of work. Yeah, I. it was so wonderful to get back in the studio after you know so long and to, to be collaborating in real life with 
with friends and colleagues and, and making music again. And um, I had a really strong sort of uh, I, like idea for the song in my head. I could sort of hear it and it's just become exactly what I heard before we went in. So um, I'm thrilled. <laughs> well, yeah, but it looks at self-doubt and how somebody with your talents could ever have self-doubt. I am not entirely sure, but everything it, it, it can, can build up. We see things in different ways and we all have different outlooks at different times in our life. And through the collaboration that you've done here, and this this was all written back in February 2020, so before the worst of what was going to come from coronavirus, uh, which has been an inspiration and a concern for so many in the, in the creative work they've done. So this is, is sort of a, a big journey through all of that and 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 yeah takes a, a snapshot in in, in time in, in your life yeah for sure it's it's still a little wild to me that it was written in the unknown like i didn't know what was about to come it was just a few weeks before lockdown and we were all still a little like um the lyrics are strangely prophetic mm -hmm. and have this extra weight now you know one of the the lyrics is um i'm sick of this place i've got to get out and uh that was a you know metaphorical lyric and then quite quickly became quite literal as well. <laughs> um but um but yeah you know i think um weirdly as well in the pandemic there was i was already feeling just the certain doubts about you know i'm just a human and we all we all have those we wonder if we're on the right um we're on the right path or we're in the right relationships or you know are we um, utilizing this one precious life in the right way? And that was a lot of things happening for me, but certainly when we all got locked down and, you know, livelihoods were just cut off and we didn't know if it would come back or that was tenfold. So, mm. um, yeah. Uh, and I, I did quite a lot of these zoom concerts and online concerts, and mm -hmm. I was playing that song throughout that and it just became, it had more and more weight, to it and it was just really strange and it's been quite a journey th with that song and it's morphed into all sorts of things and um, I hope you know that anyone that hears it can, can relate to it and ultimately um, just be like well yeah I'm a human and, and, and other people feel this as well and and the worst thing that you can do is turn in on yourself when when those voices start to come which they will but you know that's life, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, words which are going to make you think, but a sound which is going to uplift you. And the strings on there, I mean, Johnny Parry arranged and recorded that side of the track. And again, it's it's all part of that huge sound that you have here. And it, it's, it, it just, it sounds organic, but it still sounds like it's, it's infectious in many ways. Johnny is such an incredible talent, a great friend of mine, and um, he just got it spot on with, with the build of the strings. Um, I knew I wanted it to be big. The song itself is big. It has two key changes, and, you know, I knew that um, it needed to, the strings needed to support that, but I didn't want it to overpower, and he just got that so right of, like, real intense build without overpowering the song or the vocals and um that's a um, testament to um the the and engineer and mixer as well Stephen Lyweke over in um in Nashville he um he he just mixed everything just right. and what a great team I'm just really lucky to have such talented people to work with that really brought that vision to to life um and did the song justice in my opinion so Mm -hmm. And um, you've got a tour which you're undertaking at the moment, but you're looking at heading out to, to Nashville again in the not too distant future, I think, aren't you? Yeah, I'll be back there in the summer. I'm um, I'm touring in the UK at the moment throughout May, and then I'm going out to the states in July and August to to tour and to I'll be back in Nashville, hopefully um, writing some more, maybe recording some more. It's all very exciting, and I'm just trying to um, yeah decide what what course to take and what's next really but um just being back, back out on the live shows uh, certainly this particular tour that i'm doing at the moment in the uk um i've rescheduled this three times now so i'm just <laughs> happy to be in it and not looking at it on just the paper and on the posters like that i've been tweaking over the last three years and um yeah the band and i are just just loving being physically in the space with with the audiences and and, and connecting through music again after such a long break so we're about halfway through now we've got 
about five or six shows left and um yeah we're all over the shop so you know people want to come and check it out and uh, hear some live music we'd love to see you and i uh, the sort of venues you're playing here at the moment they're sort of medium size small to medium size so you still get able to get enough of the intimacy that you need from your music any show where i sometimes the lights are so bright that i can't see the audience and i always ask the lighting guys to just bring up the house lights i just want to see people i want to connect mm -hmm. i want to make sure we're all in this together and um it's quite a a, a friendly jovial back and forth there's a lot of interaction and um that's the kind of show i love to do so whether actually whether that's in a huge hall or a tiny pub that's all i want from the shows is to connect on a really personal level yeah i'm really just grateful for the opportunity when there's you know a lot of artists out there trying to get back on the stage and i've got this platform and i'm just i'm really excited to be doing the thing that i'm supposed to be doing so that's absolutely yeah, that's yes, it, it, it's certainly what you were put on this planet for very much looking forward to uh, hearing more of your music where do we find you on the socials online and of course go through your socials to get links to the tickets for each of these gigs dannynichols.com um everything's there you can link off to the instagram and the, the facebook and and the shows page and the merch page and everything's at dannynichols.com um and then it's danny nichols music on the on the socials so um yeah interact send me a message i love i love all that as well so oh, yeah that'd be good take a listen to the music that's the important part danny nichols thank you so much for joining us thank you
environmental correspondent Robert Cheese Rife is involved in all sorts of projects, whether he's been along to the, the, the likes of COP26 or whether his company Pinwheel are involved in something massive on the world yeah, environmental market. They're also involved in the fantastic celebrations for the Queen's Platinum Jubilee and part of a pageant is here now to tell me more about it. Hello, sir. Hello. So uh, it's all going on and uh, the, the pageant itself, I think it takes place on the 5th of June, doesn't it? Yeah, so I've got three Sundays from now. Yeah, there'll be a massive event in London, thousands of entertainers and people lining the streets, a sort of big celebration of what the scarcely believable 70 years that our Queen has been on the throne. All of this has got to have a sustainable edge in this day and age. And uh, we, we know that uh, very often the royal family's ethos, is, is, uh, particularly with Prince Charles and the work that he does, is about the environment. The Queen obviously mirrors this too. And you've been advising on sustainability for the whole process itself. So, I mean, they're so good at it uh, that we haven't had to. And, uh, you know, the royal family are part of the... Um, uh, you know got amazing awards that they give out and and uh, are really big on it the pageant itself has asked us to really help them out with something quite specific which is how do we get the public involved so the pageant has sort of these two ethoses one is that it should be a real community event that everyone in the country should get behind and so they've got people coming to take part in the pageant from all corners really of, of the commonwealth as well as the uk but then also it should be sustainable it should be something that that helps build the community. So they wanted uh, community charities to benefit from the pageant, but they, they also wanted it to be something that the public had a say in. So they asked us to create a platform, a website really, so that people could pick which charities get the, the kind of support that the Jubilee is offering. So three are effectively in the final, as it were, for this. Yeah. And uh, the actual public donations, not only uh, from the events that have taken place, will be split based on the, the, the effect of the public vote, but also people can get involved and donate at the same time too. Exactly that. So we're hoping that people come to the website, which is uh, pinwheel.earth forward slash platinum pageant. It's a bit of a mouthful. Um, and they can go there. They can read about the three charities. So you've got... Um, Brian May's Save Me Trust, a fabulous wilderness charity that helps create a wilder UK and support wildlife. It's supported and founded by Brian May, the Queen guitarist. We've also got the Queen's Green Canopy, which is the kind of charity set up in the name of the Queen to plant a tree for the Jubilee. So this, this is brilliant. So they've got community groups and schools, scouts, guides groups, all sorts, planting trees across the country over this next year or two. And then the last one is Wheels for Wellbeing. They are a small but mighty charity that, that try and enable disabled access to cycling. So the thing about cycling is actually anyone can do it, but they might need an adapted cycle. We might need to have cycling infrastructure that's you know a bit wider. You, you'll often you'll have seen this, you know, going through a cycling path and they've got bollards and things that mean only narrow cycles can get in. Obviously, that's great to stop, you know, a car driving up there or something like that, but it's awful for for disabled cyclists so they are a brilliant campaign that will that will widen access for cycling for all people so you've got three lovely charities doing brilliant work across the uk and we get to pick as the great british public which which proportion of the money goes where so however the vote falls you know 50 percent 25 percent 25 percent that's how the money will be uh, proportioned out to those charities but as importantly what the what the pageant are looking for is that it sort of sparks a bit of a awareness of these three charities because they're not household names mm. and gets them a little bit more support both financially so if people do donate that would be fabulous but also just to make their make their efforts more widely known 
And so they're all winners already. They're all going to get funding from this. So even if they got 1% of it, actually, there's going to be a big pot of cash there. It's going to make a difference to the charities. And people can donate directly, as well as proportioning out what is coming from the, uh, the whole event itself. So you know, there's always going to be a way of supporting, which is the important bit here. And it's, a, it's that message, isn't it? And I think this is seeing the good that's coming from the, the Platinum Jubilee. It's not just about us putting on a show to the world, even though we are blooming good at that, as we proved as a nation so many times before but uh, it is going to be an enjoyable time and a time for community and awareness which which all this charity work ties in with yeah and it's fabulous i think um you know we don't know, don't yet know the scale of it and the sort of four days of brilliant events i think the excitement will build at the moment i don't feel like it's only three weeks away but i think over that weekend it's going to be really fabulous and there i think they'll sort of recapture that olympics 2012 spirit if you remember the whole country getting behind that and the, the amazing opening event. And I think it will be that. I think we'll kind of recapture something really special from 10 years ago. And I think it will be just a truly fabulous weekend. And there are so many communities involved in it that it really will feel like a, a whole UK effort. And as I say, community uh, Commonwealth involvement as well. So it's just, you know, really brilliant, and lovely. And if, you know, those the three charities uh, on, on the sort of platform that Pinwheel has provided, benefit as well then it's just really um you know their legacy will then grow as well which mm -hmm. they're, they're interested in they you know they don't want it to be a weekend and obviously that's brilliant and then we forget all about it so hopefully this is part of that that beautiful legacy that they can create Absolutely. And uh, so with the work that Pinwheel do, there's obviously always also an environmental edge and hopefully we'll see more people picking up on the Pinwheel message too. Yeah. And, and you know, that's that's why we're involved. So we, we we donated the platform to the pageant. You know, we're not there's no kind of commercial thing for us. But, you know, what we do get out of it, obviously, is that people hear about us as well as hearing about the charities. And, and the, the thing that they hear about when they hear about us are the amazing environmental actions that people can support on the pinwheel site so you know whether you know we've talked about this before haven't we jason you know, seagrass and long-term carbon removal plastic removal the sea turtle hatchling protection the brilliant things that um pinwheel supports will hopefully get a little bit of extra support as a result of us being involved in the pageant Absolutely. And fingers crossed we can keep getting you along to let us know what's going on in that world as well. And uh, I mean, we are probably, what, six months uh, down the line from the, the last big international environmental event. We've had environmental catastrophes with the likes of the actions taking place uh, in Ukraine at the moment. So there is still an, an awful lot to talk about. Whatever we try and do, it makes all those things we can do even more important when we've got you know, terrible atrocities like that in the world. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's um... And, and the, you know, the Ukraine conflict has made it so much harder as well because of oil and gas has, has been, a, you know, having secure oil and gas has become a bigger thing. And so climate change is, you know, feels like it's not quite as um, prioritised as it maybe was in November at COP26, but for entirely sensible reasons. And, you know, we've got a massive heat wave in India. You know, they've got 50 degree heat in India. There's currently flooding in South Africa. We've got obviously the war in Ukraine. So it is, you know, and they're all linked, you know, oil and gas is kind of at the heart of all of this. So, you know, it is the bigger context is is enormous and it can be overwhelming. Um, but we, we find it we try and kind of get excited about the creativity and the options to try and do something about it. And that is often small and local and maybe doesn't feel like it's game changing on its own, but it all adds up. And so yeah, hopefully that's the answer as best as we can. So give us all the details of the pageant part of the website and then the how we can find out the rest of the work that Pinwheel are doing. Yeah, so if you go to pinwheel.earth forward slash platinum pageant, so that's pinwheel.earth forward slash platinum pageant, then that's where you can vote for one of the amazing charities and see more about that. It's just pinwheel.earth for our core website and, and where you can learn most about Pinwheel. But yeah, we'd love for the first thing people do is just one click, quick vote at the um, pinwheel.earth forward slash platinum pageant site. Okay, check out those details and sort of know this is all going on in the background as we celebrate over that four-day weekend. And it's, it, it, it's about the future and the celebration of the future by looking back at the past as well, which I quite like too. It's, it's, it's a nice uh, sort of uh, everything coming full circle and uh, making sure we do think about uh, the charities and the environment that we're working with 
it, it is our hope. That's 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 you know we only have one hope. It's going to be a long time before we find another planet to to live on, and the technology is there to do that. So yeah, we've got to make sure we look after this one. So let's keep that good work up. Rob, we will speak again soon. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, be talking about some more of the, the world's environmental concerns and how we can deal with that. But for now, Robert Cheese, right off Pinwheel, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. The Museum of Wolverhampton and South Staffordshire Trust are launching on the 25th of May with a talk. There's all sorts going on at the moment, including an anniversary, which is very special when it comes to a land speed record set by Sunbeam in the city. So that's more. I'm joined now by Andy Sloan. Hello, sir. Hello, Jason. So tell us a bit about your role within the organisation itself. So I am the founder and chair of the organisation, which I have set up with my good friend, Mr. Quintin Watt. Uh, we were both involved in the committee of the Wolverhampton Society. So if you've seen any of the blue plaques around Wolverhampton, they are responsible for that. Um, and we wanted to focus more on something that told the story of the area longer term and in a more permanent way. So that was how we came to the idea of getting a museum. We'd, we'd heard from so many people that wouldn't it be great if there was a museum for the area and um, that's where we came to it because mm -hmm. uh, we have like museums and art galleries covering the towns and and uh, the cities within your sort of almost conurbation but yeah it's it's not quite telling the whole story whereas no. yeah south staffordshire and wolverhampton have been linked for so long up until the 70s obviously wolverhampton was solely part of staffordshire and uh, our county town stafford was up the road and you wouldn't even think of mentioning the brummies because they were over in warwickshire so yeah. it is a it was a, a kind of different world and that is where the history comes in whilst we also still have people with living memories of that time as well it's going to be great to sort of co coalesce all of this into one uh, yeah. and bring this together through the new trust yeah that's exactly true and another reason for setting it up was the fact that there are a number of individuals locally who've amassed large collections uh, they've manned and, and womaned history fairs in the in that time and they are getting to the point where they they can't carry that burden anymore they you know, physically can't do that and there has to be a longer term solution for what is going to happen to these collections because you, you don't know what will they get sold off or, or anything like that. So that's uh, the sort of secondary reason for, for doing it, because the time now is really to strike is now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if you were to see one of these collections broken up uh, through sale, it probably wouldn't fetch the value of its true worth, particularly not to the communities uh, who will learn so much uh, from these areas. I mean, when I was at school, uh, being a will and all that, uh, we had a, a play that was done in the area called Humpshire. There's the, yeah, the Lock Museum, that sort of thing. And it's all these little bits that all sort of tie together with the Will and Hall and Wolverhampton links in the lock industry. And so much more that goes beyond that with the fuel that used to fire the furnaces that allowed the production. And that mostly coming from under the ground within the, you know, the city itself in, in Will and Hall, but also further afield out into places like Codsall and, and, and surrounding areas. Yeah, because, I mean, this is the thing. We're not just based uh, around Wolverhampton. Obviously, that's the, the primary city in the area. But historically, there's not been somewhere to capture the history and story of South Staffordshire. And I, as a, a boy who attended Ounsdale in Womburn, uh, I briefly lived in Womburn. Uh, I've worked near Codsall. So it's all sort of interconnected. And at the moment, if there was anything that needed to be catalogued or archived, it could end up in Stafford, it could end up in Wolverhampton, it could end up even further afield than that. Um, so it, it's about bringing things together in one place. And particularly with all this launching around the centenary of the land speed record that Sunbeam got. And because Sunbeam was it, it's sort of a name that's back on the lips with the uh, the work that's been done resurrecting the factory into some fantastic accommodation. And just uh, I love the concept of, of living somewhere that was so important to the growth of Wolverhampton itself. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's a name that sort of lived on, but the actual centenary of the Land Speed World Record, which is, is, is not on the day of the event, it's actually on the 17th of May uh, 2022, um, that is something that's sort of been forgotten a little bit, particularly, um, I've not really seen anything in the local authority sort of promoting the history of the city and the fact that it was such an iconic achievement it's not often your city sets a land speed world record <laughs> so um we've actually got another two coming up after that that's how good sunbeam were but uh yeah we thought we'd, we'd mark the occasion with yeah. the launch 
And we're, we're marking that here as well. And uh, yeah. let's see what we do talking about that as we head through the 17th as well. Yeah. So there's there's lots of, of, of great history. And so people moved around the area. And, and back in the day, I mean, they, they wouldn't have been that mobile. For, from Say, going from Wombourne through Treasel into yeah. Wolverhampton. That was a hell of a trek. Yeah, I mean, I for my talk that I'll be doing in, in July, I was looking at a slightly grisly topic, a 19th century murder, but with a focus around mental health. And there's a point where the family go out for a day trip to Codsall. Now, that would be a sort of 10, 15 minute journey these days, mm-hmm. but it would be considerably longer back in those days. And even um, going back to sort of World War One, Technol, for example, was very much thought to be separate. They didn't like to consider themselves Wolverhampton. And a lot of the other local areas would would sort of class themselves as their own towns, like Bilston and places like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's uh, it, they're all interconnected to each other. Yeah, well, it's, it's not been that long. Again, in living memory, that Bilston Town Council was merged into Wolverhampton. Uh, you've yes. got places like Sedgley as well, who've sort of been carved up between Wolverhampton and Dudley. And it, it's almost as if they, they've come together to give value when it comes to getting services together. But these yeah. places still haven't lost their identity. They are still... Yeah. Yeah, geographical borders, which you you know when you've stepped from Bilston into Wolverhampton. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things that we aim to, to capture. We don't want anyone to lose their identity. We're not, uh, as some people think, with with um, certain local authorities trying to amalgamate everything and class it as Wolverhampton. We are aware that they were individual towns and different areas, and it's about bringing out those sort of unique identities. And and as you say, said earlier artifacts that on their own might not be worth a lot of money uh, but to the people of that area they tell the story of their ancestors and the the industries that have gone gone before them well as we say it's all going on on the 25th of may and there's going to be a talk paul hutton is going to be there give us his background so paul hutton is the archivist for the let me get this right the marston sunbeam club and register because they i think recently changed their name uh, but he is the absolute expert on Sunbeam. He, I mean, he can, if you own a Sunbeam, he can identify where the parts have come from. He can go to that level of detail, but he can tell you all kinds of things like the fact that the gold paint on Sunbeam cars and bikes was actually gold itself. It wasn't just paint. Um, it was gold leaf. Uh, but he is the absolute expert on the subject, and he's going to give us a thorough review of the legendary company. And I say that is going to be some amazing history itself. I have seen a sunbeam at the Black Printing Museum, and that is just so impressive. And, you know, the, the Midlands was so much a, a car based economy right the way through into the 80s, when sadly these things very much sort of fell away all of a sudden. And uh, you know, this is the sort of history that we can see. And uh, the 80s is, is so long ago, it will be taught as history to kids in schools. And this is going to be another chance for them to be able to see how their area contributed to a global economy. Yeah, certainly. And with the, I mean, on the, the subject of the transport, that's one of the things we want to get back to. There used to be things like this, I think it was the Wolverhampton Festival that was held at Bantock Park. Um, and you would get all kinds of things related to Wolverhampton. There used to be transport fairs around the, the, the city. And we want to get back to that. We want a, a combination of replacing some of the fairs and exhibitions that have, have been lost alongside living history, which is the fact that there are still hundreds, if not thousands of people who own Guy Motors, Sunbeams, AJSs, all that kind of thing. And they can really bring to life the story of the city to the, the modern generation. I would love to be a custodian of a sunbeam. That would be absolutely amazing. And uh, you know, so, it's, so many people will have thoughts, stories, and tales to tell, all come together with those physical artifacts of history. But this talk itself is going to be the start of things. So, how do people come along if they're interested? Uh, we have an Eventbrite listing uh, for the the, uh, the the event, and we also have a, a listing on Facebook. Uh, failing that, if you aren't so computer literate, that's fine. You can buy tickets on the door. It's at Penn United Reform Church, which is 333 Penn Road. And uh, like I say, if you turn up between 7 and 7.30, provided we've got tickets left, because they are selling quite quickly, you will be able to get in. The admission is £7, so it's so, a fundraiser. So. Absolutely excellent value for money, too, for the yes. sort of talk <laughs> that you're going to get, which I think yeah. is the thing. And it's all built on passion, which is the exciting part. Exactly. You're looking for the Museum of Wolverhampton and South Staffordshire, if you're checking it out online. And so we will be regularly talking as you go through these developmental stages. And we're looking forward to hearing about when you actually have a location and how that will actually work. And uh, I very much look forward to the opening day of the museum itself. 
Thank you. And I look forward to talking to you again. I could talk about Wolverhampton and its environs all, all day. So uh, I'll always be here for you. Andy Sloan, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jason. Andrew Eborn is a man who feels he's able to predict the future. This is backed up by the actual research around what he's told us is going to happen. We spoke a while ago about a fantastic book that he has brought to the world, giving us a few clues in the world of business and beyond. And he joins me now for a bit about the way things are at the moment and the way they're going to be in the future. Hello, sir. It is such a joy to see you again, uh, Jason. The world it seems to be constantly changing, and uh, the job of a futurist is to know where that's going to go, to help businesses and organisations alike, to make sure they are prepared. And I, I know you, alongside the serious work that you do, you enjoy looking at some of the fun things too, whether it be your prediction of Meghan Markle looking into the world of politics, uh, general elections, they're mostly for fun these days, aren't they? Uh, and the world that you've done around there, but also the likes of the, the presidential race in France as well. And your sort of understanding and vision of what is happening and the way you interpret that allows people to be able to make sure they're making the right decisions before they know what those decisions should be. Oh, you're, you're absolutely right. And what, what's a joy, Jason, is we have a 100% record, a 100% record of predicting human behaviour, but also the results of elections and developments. And the reason, the real secret to this, and, I, and you mentioned the book very kindly, that the secret is all revealed in the Andrew Eborn Book of Failure, which very kindly I put on eBay for your wonderful viewers around mm -hmm. the world so they can get their own special signed copy. Uh, this is a rare unsigned copy, but you get your <laughs> signed copy on eBay. And the secret is this is that we always say that history repeats itself. And I say that the reason it repeats itself is because we don't learn the lessons from history. So what I do is I look back over history and try and work out the lessons that should have been learned and basically using those lessons to predict what's gonna happen in the future. And I'll give you a few examples. We talk about the pandemic at the moment. And actually, this is not the first pandemic we've had in history. There've been several pandemics going back to the Black Plague, the Bubonic Plague, and the wrongly named Spanish flu in 1918. And the reason it was wrongly named is basically 500 million people around the world are reported to have contracted this Spanish flu. 50 million people apparently tragically died. But it was called the Spanish flu because King Alfonso XIII in Spain, which was neutral at the time, had no restrictions on media reporting. And he sadly contracted the flu and basically was widely reported to have done so. The origin of the Spanish flu was actually in Kansas, the first reported case of it. So it should really be the Kansas cough, uh, I guess. And there were <laughs> reports about in France and Germany and the UK. So if the one thing we're going to do here on the milk bar is to correct the wrongly named Spanish flu. It was, in fact, the Kansas cough. You can have that first. But also what, what the interesting lessons there is that it basically went on for about two years. Um, it naturally evolved and so on and so forth. But the misrepresentation about it being called the Spanish flu. Basically, you'll remember the early days of the pandemic, they talked about the various places that it originated, the variants mm -hmm. where they originated. And then we went into the Greek alphabet and so on and so <laughs> forth. So great lessons there. The other lesson as well, when you're talking about uh, the Black Plague and things like that, and you're hearing terrible reports at the moment about cats and dogs being destroyed in certain countries. That's what happened uh, originally with the Black Plague, because they wrongly thought that the cats and dogs, mainly cats, were responsible. So there was a lot of slaughtering of cats wrongly. And as a result of the misinformation, what happened is the plague actually spread even further because it was actually the fleas on the rats that caused the plague. Mm -hmm. And because you're destroying all the cats, basically what happened is the natural enemy of the rats um, was obviously taken out. So it actually increased. So misinformation is very, very dangerous. But that's what we've done, is have a look at history, work out the lessons to be told. And I also put in the book, the recipe for winning elections. You know that there's gonna be smear campaigns just beforehand. I'm always fascinated about the timing of certain things. Last time we spoke was actually on May the 5th, uh, last year, uh, and it subsequently um, went out to the universe and all your wonderful listeners and, and viewers around the world. But at that time, you may recall that a certain Matt Hancock um, was reported to have been in his uh, cabinet minister's office, um, embroiled in his uh, um, illicit affair, as they, they called it. Um, but that news didn't come out until the end of 
June. So about June the 26th, it was on the, the headline news and it ended up on the um, editor's desk of a, of a major newspaper. And my question about this is why on earth it took six weeks, six, seven weeks before the story broke? And if you look at the timing of these things and work out the story behind the story, there's a big clue as to what will happen. And I can tell you, there will be more revelations, the drip feeding of stories, the whole thing about Partygate and so on and so forth. History is littered with examples of this. So my lesson there is basically learn the lessons from history because that will help you predict the future. Absolutely. And I mean, the stories that you're talking about there and the way in which our world works these days has kind of changed. Uh, back in uh, the, uh, well, the Kansas cough period, the Spanish flu, as most people know, uh, you, know you, you had the press and they were spreading stories and telling what was going on there. We now have the internet, and you know, all of these can be both uh, sources of, of good and evil when it comes to these things. And it, it makes it even harder sometimes, I suppose, to, to uh, predict what's going to happen uh, if you don't understand the way people work uh, when you have got so many factors coming into play. And it's, it's, it's having the, the oversight of all of this. Uh, it, it's what you do. It's how you make it work. And, and this is... I say part of being a futurist it, it's it's a, a, an a amazing understanding you have to have and the the way in which you know the, the human psyche works it must be great fun and so doing that and then analyzing that from the people that you know too oh no it's absolutely fascinating as you say people getting the information from the internet that we're drowning drowning in a sea of information misinformation and disinformation is the reality 99.9 percent .9 of what we read is false. You can find a view and evidence to support any view, however extreme that you may have. And what I always say to people is get your news from many different sources, because everybody somewhere is coming out with a different version of the truth. Uh, as you know, my background is as a lawyer, and we talk about the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And actually, in reality, it sounds like a, a multiple choice. Which one do you want? Which mm. version of the truth do you want to swallow? And the reality, I talk about uh, the pandemic, and uh, we are in a war against the pandemic. And the first casualty in any war is the truth. So what I would urge people to do is to question everything. Work out who is telling you this story. Is there a vested interest into why they might be reporting it in a certain way? And then look at the same story from many different sources. And that's what I do. I basically try and less, less heat and more light is what we try and do uh, mm -hmm. to make that make sense. And, and what have you got for us in the, in the, the coming weeks and months? I mean, hopefully we're going to see uh, a favourable uh, Ukrainian uh, result when it comes down to finally seeing the, the, the back of Russia there. But it's a, it, it is very much up in the air at the moment. And uh, it, there's, there's people like you uh, looking at this to, to try and work out what we need to do next to help. Well, I think you have to understand, the other thing you need to do is to understand the characters involved. And actually, when you talk about Russia, uh, you can't paint everybody with the same brush. It basically is Vladimir Putin. And you've got to look at the history of where he came from and taking things back to the USSR is what he's looking at. So he's going to be very worried about the threat of increase in NATO. So when Finland come out and say, hang about, we're thinking of joining, and then he gets on the phone and say, well, if you do that, there'll be severe consequences. The reality is that's what he's afraid of. He wants to basically make Russia great again. Everybody's, everybody's thinking about their legacy to make that make sense. So if you look at what's the rationale, what does a victory look like? And there's a real danger here that this could go on for years. And there, there are real genuine casualties. Every single day we hear more and more of the atrocities. So try and work out what needs to be done to try and resolve this. Uh, but also let's not forget the human casualties as a result. But Putin is looking for legacy. I predicted um, the date, so it's not, not a proud thing to do, but it's a reality. Predicted the date of when it was likely that Russia would invade Ukraine. Lots of people were talking about it happening on a Wednesday, you might recall, just before uh, the Olympics were on. And I pointed out on a number of media outlets around the world on which I commentate, I said, no, it's not gonna happen during the Olympics. And I'll tell you why, is that Putin doesn't want to upset China. And basically the Olympics are flagship. It shines a wonderful spotlight on a particular territory and China was having the Beijing games. And I said it's more likely to happen after the closing ceremony. And all the other critics said, no, no, it's happening on Wednesday. This is what's going to happen. I said, no, it's not. And have a look. And if you look at the timing after the final, basically the, the final of uh, the Olympic Games and the wonderful closing ceremony, it was just a few days later that tragically Russia 
uh, invaded Ukraine. So we can sometimes feel like we never know what is going to impact us next and, and what is going to go on. What, what do you see uh, as far as trends in, in things like industries to work in and, and, and that, that sort of way that things are going to develop? Because we're seeing an awful lot in the world of electric cars and the like, but actually I, I don't feel that the current you know, battery-operated system is going to be one that works. It's more likely to be fuel cells and things. We need to look at alternatives. I'll tell you what the future is going to hold. There's a number of things uh, about the future. Artificial intelligence is revolutionising the way that industries are going to have to adapt. When we're looking at the squeeze on industries and, and basically whether you eat or heat, you need to look at the financial ways that you can make a difference. And they always say that uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Well, you can see that no clearer than what's happened in the pandemic. You've had the explosion of things such as Zoom, which uh, when you and I were growing up was just basically an ice lolly, you might yes. remember. <laughs> but that technology for getting people to communicate came as a result of what happened. The increase in subscribers of platforms like Netflix uh, as a result of the pandemic, you've been forced into that. And again, it's very predictable. What's also predictable is that when the pandemic eases and people can come out again, that you're going to have a decline in subscribers. So if you look at Netflix, for example, it is no surprise that they lost 200,000 subscribers and, and people around the world suddenly said, well, hang about, Netflix is losing all this money as a result. It was very predictable. If you sit down and say, what's going to happen? It's very predictable. When people start getting back to work, they're not going to be looking at their screens as much as they used to be. So what you need to do as a business is to work out what is the logical next step. Um, so Netflix, sadly, because of the cost of uh, production and so on and so forth, they did two things. Uh, one of which um, was disastrous for them. They actually put up the price in a time when people were heating or eating, that squeeze on the economy. They put up their subscription price and people voted with their feet. They said, no, no, we're not going to pay any of that. We'll make a choice um, between the other streaming platforms. The other thing they've been forced to look at, which I can see is going to happen in the future, is looking at the advertiser-funded model for these subscribers. So you'll see, for example, Netflix, and they started to look at this, is what's going to happen rather than people paying these £10.99 or whatever the relevant package you've got, uh, you can look at an advertiser-supported model, which might reduce the price significantly, maybe a half or so on and so forth. So you're going to see a lot of that. We're also going to see an increase in artificial intelligence. And that's going to affect many, many industries. There's been a big explosion, for example, on Facebook, with people having their profile pictures um, wonderfully turned into a cartoon. You might, yes. might have done one yourself, and they all look particularly good. And there's the usual scare about Russia is basically um, hoovering up all of your data, all of that sort of stuff. Um, but the point about that, that was an artificial intelligence which created this very, it looked like a painting of your profile. And I think AI is going to have a massive impact on many, many businesses. Um, as you know, I've been a member of equity for several years and mm -hmm. was vice chair, the chair of vice uh, for the 10th variety branch. Um, and, what the, I, and I warned them many, many years ago that AI can effectively create anything. We can create actors, we can create voices, we can do, if you feed in, and we did an experiment, you can feed in all episodes of the Flintstones and they will produce a new version of the Flintstones, will look as though it's been written and produced uh, by the original team. So we should be aware of what the technology uh, capabilities are and basically adapt accordingly. So that's what I do with companies around the world. I advise them about what's happening from a technology point of view, having a deep understanding of that technology advances, but mm -hmm. also predicting what's going to happen in terms of business models, in terms of technology, because if forewarned is uh, basically forearmed. Well, those who haven't got the book yet need it, and they also need to find you on all the socials as well. Give us all the details on all of this. Well, you can get, and it's a special offer, go to eBay now and look for Andrew Yvonne's Book of Failure, The Secrets of How to Make an Absolute Fortune and to Ensure that You Succeed When the World is Failing is all in this book. Get your copy now. And if you do it via eBay, uh, I'll personally sign it as well. Uh, you can follow me at Andrew Yvonne at Octopus TV and we'll introduce you on more platforms than Paddington uh, around the world. My favourite, of course, is, of course, the milk bar. And I always enjoy uh, sipping a glass of milk with my good uh, Jason, it's always a joy.
Andrew, great speaking to you. Thank you for joining us. And uh, fingers crossed there will be a future for us to talk in in the, in, in the not-too-distant future. Well, I'll finish on a positive note because we love that sort of stuff. I talked about the Kansas cough, now that we've uh, corrected that misunderstanding. You remember whilst that the world was all in turmoil following the Kansas cough, it was followed by the roaring 20s. And I predict after a period of adjustment, we are going to see, again, a roaring 20s. We'll finish on that positive note. I'm looking forward to seeing you in your flap address. That'll be fantastic. Andrew, everyone, thank you for joining us. A real pleasure. Take care. That's all for this week. Thank you so much for joining me back with episode 674 next week. I'll see you then. Good afternoon. Goodbye from the milk bar. 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 Yeah. Goodbye from the milk bar. Yeah.